Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. The sponsor for this whole Labor Day Book Blast week is firstbook.org. Obviously, the pandemic is crippling education for millions of students, especially those in low-income communities. The widening digital divide and extended quote-unquote summer slide due to COVID is devastating. Apparently, 40% lack access to reliable internet and functioning digital devices they can use for online learning, making the need for physical books and resources to prevent further educational backsliding absolutely critical. Firstbook breaks down the barriers to education for children living in low-income communities by providing its network of more than 475,000 educators serving children in need with free and affordable new high-quality books, educational resources, and basic needs items through the award-winning First Book Marketplace nonprofit e-commerce site. They need your support to ensure these children have what they need to learn during this critical time. Visit firstbook.org to help Charlotte McConaughey is an Australian author living in Sydney. She has a master's degree in screenwriting from the Australian Film, Television, and Radio School and eight books published in Australia. Her forthcoming novel, Migrations, is her first foray into adult literary fiction published in North America by Flatiron Books and is the last migration in the UK and Australia and many more countries around the world. Fueled by her love of nature and her interest in stories of fierce women, McConaughey is currently working on a new novel about the biologists charged with using wolves to rewild a landscape and bring a forest back to life. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely. Your novel, Migrations, oh my gosh, so good. So (laughs) lots of questions, but first, please tell everybody what Migrations is about, and then also what inspired you to write this as as your debut novel? Okay, so Migrations is the story of a woman who decides to follow the migration of the last flock of Arctic terns on their journey from the Arctic to the Antarctic. And this is probably going to be their last migration because the book is set in the very near future during the peak of the extinction crisis when most of the animals have either gone extinct or they're headed that way quickly. And it's kind of the story of Franny's life and all the moments that lead her up to taking on this journey. And I guess in terms of inspiration or where it came from, it's a hard one to pin down because it didn't really come in any kind of formed pieces. It came in a lot of different fragments. I knew that I sort of wanted to, I guess, engage with my kind of concern around the climate crisis, but I didn't really know how to do that. So I First, I went traveling and I went exploring Ireland, which is where my ancestors were from. And I went to Iceland, which is the most beautiful place. And I fell in love with the grey lag geese. And that kind of got me thinking about migratory birds and the incredible journeys that they take and the type of people that study these birds. So I think that's how Franny, the ornithologist, kind of came 
came into my mind and I was imagining, you know, how amazing it would be to if we could actually go on this journey with the birds. And then, you know, as I got to understand Franny, I started to realise what kind of world I needed to place her in to really be able to tell her story with impact and also, I guess, kind of safely engage with my own fear around the climate crisis. And so that's how the environmental side of this book got slowly drawn in. That was sort of to support her. Wow. I feel like so much press. And by the way, you've gotten already just such amazing press about this book. It's just fantastic. Everybody's so excited to read it. And it's just, you know, already such a hit. So I hope that is making you feel good. It is, yeah. (laughs) But I know that a lot of it is focusing on the environmental piece, which of course is a huge part of this novel and differentiates it from so many others. But I feel like not enough has been said about the character and the relationship and like the mother daughter drama and her, you know, abandonment issues and dealing with her parents and her grandmother and, you know, how that affects her relationship later in life and, you know, remorse and trauma. I mean, there's so much here and the migration, you know, that's part of it, of course, but it's almost her migration, her own migration through her own life that is so spectacular in this book. Yeah, that's that's right. Well, I mean, as I said, Franny was the one who came first for me and she, it is a story of family more than anything. And that's kind of the touchstone that I always came back to when I was writing it. She's kind of this real lost soul. She's a wanderer who sort of kind of moves from place to place through her life. And, and you know, I think She's searching for home and family and a place to belong, but it's probably something that's part of her contradictory nature that it's hard for her to have those things because she is she does have this instinctive drive to be moving and to be leaving. And we see that really manifested in her kind of passionate but troubled relationship with her husband. I think I think she because she didn't grow up with a family, she found one instead in the natural world. So that sort of makes her keenly aware of its loss. But yeah, for me, it is a relationship story more than anything. I wouldn't know what to sink my teeth into if I wasn't writing about relationships. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was a lot of dunking into cold water. I feel like yeah. I needed a blanket after I finished this book in part <laughs> for all the time that poor Franny was, you know, underwater yeah. and, and all the rest. <laughs> she loves it. She's fine. She loves, she loves it. it. I know. She's like a, you know, she's like a fish of some kind. And, yeah. you know, she can survive when others can't. But I'm like, oh my gosh, she's back in the water. How is she doing? <laughs> Tell me a little about the sleepwalking and the sleep torturing, essentially. Like, where did that piece come from? Brandy has this sort of darker side where she has these mm. habits that are very, you know, not only self-destructive, but externally destructive. And then, mm. you know, she takes it out you know, it comes out on herself a lot as well. Tell me a little bit about how sleepwalking sort of fit into that and what made you choose that as a device to sort of harness her anger in in, in a way. Yeah, well, I suppose the idea was that she's such a migratory person, even when she's awake, that even this kind of drive to always be moving was afflicting her while she slept. And so that idea that she couldn't kind of control her wandering feet and this became a really difficult kind of burden for her because it also meant that she wasn't just kind of hurting her husband emotionally by sort of 
going off and leaving him, but she was sort of threatening him physically because of her, she lashes out as she sleeps and she kind of enacts this this sort of lifelong trauma that she's had around being abandoned and, and, you know, things that I don't want to give away because they're part of the sort of secrets and plot that she she needs to reveal to the readers. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that she's kind of buried down really deep and I, I think the sleepwalking and sleep kind of acting out <laughs> is a way of that just manifesting really and I think that that's sort of something that happens when we don't potentially when we don't deal with our trauma and and Franny's certainly someone that doesn't deal with things she kind of runs and tries to outrun them so I think yeah there's there's a point where you can't get away from it any longer and tell me a little about all these dueling timelines that you interweave so seemingly effortlessly and different places <laughs> and different times and backwards and forwards like the way you just played with time was really amazing. Tell me about the writing of that and how you kept track and structure and everything. Yeah, well, okay, so the story's told in as you said the two timelines, the front and the back story, one set in the present day with the, the ship journey and, and the other timeline goes back and, and looks at the big moments of Franny's life. And I, I actually wrote the book as you read it. I didn't kind of separate out the two timelines because I, it felt important to write it as you read it just to keep a sense of the pacing and the rhythm of it all so that I could, yeah, be feeling how it would be read. And I chose the nonlinear structure, I guess, for a couple of reasons. The first one's really simple. I just get bored easily when I'm writing. So the sort of (laughs) writing an entire novel from a single first person point of view in a linear structure just wasn't maybe challenging enough for me or or maybe it was too challenging. It's a more natural space for me to move around a bit in time. I think it allows you to experience those major moments in Franny's life in a really intimate way with her and just, you know, instead of getting told about them in dialogue, you can kind of feel them because you're inside them. It's a great way to build tension as well. You can establish a kind of clear transformation between her past and present. You know, she used to be like that Now she's like this. I wonder what happened to change her in the middle. Kind of seed in little clues and then you can build to these really climactic reveals of information. And that's kind of ultimately to create catharsis for the reader. And the only thing I would say is about doing that is you just kind of have to keep them linked by a theme. If they sort of reflect each other and explore the same thing, then you can do as many timelines and as many characters as you want, I think. Wow. Well, it takes a lot of skill to to pull it off really well. And so pass off to you on that. <laughs> but how did you even start writing? Like when did you, did you always know you wanted to write? Like, did you always want to write a novel? Like how did we get to this point where I'm holding your book in my hands? Yeah, well, I actually started writing when I was 14. I started books. That was my first novel. And I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. I was a huge, huge reader and lover of stories and I, at the t- when I was 14, at the time I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction. So that's what I wrote. And I was very lucky that that book got picked up by a publisher in Australia. And so that kind of started me on this journey of publishing. And I did several series for YA readers. And they're sort of fantasy and sci-fi epics. And then I kind of reached, I think I was about 25 when I decided I needed to learn more about story craft. So I did two degrees in screenwriting at the film school here, which 
it sounds a bit of an odd choice, but it was actually excellent in terms of teaching me about structure and character transformations and theme and kind of all that really juicy story craft stuff. And then after I graduated, that's sort of when I went traveling and I decided I wanted to challenge myself to write something really different, which is how I came to migrations. And it was certainly the hardest thing I've ever done, the, the most difficult, difficult project. And there were definitely moments where I thought I'd never finish it and I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> but it was probably, I think it was the, tra- the training that you get when you write every day for a decade that kind of prepares you and teaches you the discipline you need to be able to understand that, you know, there's ebbs and flows and, and highs and lows while you write and you've just got to kind of write it out and, and really stick with something and finish it. Yeah, and I, I got I guess I got that practice because I spent most of my school life writing instead of doing homework or studying for <laughs> exams. <laughs> I don't know a head start. <laughs> so funny to think that writing is really like cheating on school when the whole point of school is to like educate people who can be brilliant enough to write, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit like that. And I sort of made a decision early on when I got out of school that I didn't want to go straight to uni which was a bit of a surprise, I guess, for most, most people. I just wanted to focus on writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What about in your own life? So I know in migrations, there's a lot of really difficult family stuff and I won't go into it, but just, there's just a lot of stuff that's happened to Franny and her family and all the rest. And I was just wondering if any of it came from any sort of personal space, if there had been some sort of trauma in your life or some mental illness, even perhaps in, in your family or something, I don't know, I'm being very personal and you can totally ignore this question, but I was just wondering or if, if there was something on a personal level that inspired any of this. Oh, that, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I guess, I guess it's the idea of how much of me is in Franny. Well, look, I've been very fortunate in my life that I haven't gone through the same losses and griefs that she has. She's kind of had this really difficult life and, and uh, my life's been great, really. <laughs> <in comparison. laughs> you know, I've had a really loving family. I mean, there's, there were difficulties. My parents split up when I was young and, you know, I had a, so I had a single mom and she, she moved around a lot. And so we, we kind of worked out by the that by the time I was 21, I'd lived in 21 different houses. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> so, and that was by no means traumatic at all. It was just a different experience, I guess. And I, and I suppose that it sort of made me a little unsure about where I belonged and where my home is. And I, and I guess that's one of the reasons that that sort of infused Franny's character. You know, she's this wandering searcher but apart from, yeah, look, she's a lot of, she's made up a lot of a lot of things that I wish I was more of and a lot of things that I'm really glad that I'm not. So, and, and a lot of her damage, you know, is I guess instead of it being a way for me to explore my own personal trauma, it's more of a way to explore a larger grief about what's happening to the planet. And that sounds strange, but it's kind of like, I had this real concern and and fear for 
for the wildness that we're losing and a longing to have wildness in my life. And so I, I didn't quite know how to explore that. And so I sort of brought it to bear in the internal sort of pain of a, of a person and, and hoped that that would be how we could access that feeling to make it more intimate and personal if that makes sense. It does. It's, it, it totally makes sense. And I can see that reflected in the story. You had one line where you said, the rhythm of the sea's tides are the only things we humans have not yet destroyed. And I feel like that sets the tone for the whole thing, that you can mm-hmm. see sort of the sea going in and out and in and out, and, and yet all yeah. the things around it sort of in fast forward, sort of shape, shape-shifting quickly, quickly, and not in good, in good places. I know this is like such a passion of yours. Like, how do you approach this aside from obviously raising so much awareness with this book, for instance, but like, how do you, not, not like, how do you sleep at night, but like, what do you do to change it? What can we do to change it? Like, what's your philosophy? Like, what's your strategy and plan? And I don't know, what do you, what do you think? In terms well, of activism or education or all the rest? Yeah, well, I mean, education comes first, obviously, and starting the conversation, we want people to be aware of what's happening. And so I guess that's one reason I wanted to write about this, just to try and give voice to some of what's happening and and my own concerns around it. I guess in terms of the way I live, I try to do as many small things as I can because they all add up. You know, if we're all doing the small things, they add up to major change. And when I say small things, I'm talking about I don't eat meat. And I know that that's you know, hard for a lot of, that's not something that everyone will be able to do, but if you can reduce your meat eating, that's amazing. Things like composting, worm farming, switch your energy to a renewable energy provider, ride your bike instead of driving your car if you can, or walk. Lots of those kind of smaller things. Think about what you, the products that you're buying and, and whether you can recycle them, try to reduce the waste so things aren't just going into landfill. But you know, the biggest thing that we can actually do is contact our politicians because the change has to come from above. Unfortunately, you know, we can do a lot of smaller things and they do work, mm-hmm. but we really, really need to change the systems that are in place because they're not supporting the planet. They're actually doing incredible damage. Yeah. You know, my daughter, she's 13, but from the time she was born, she's like been obsessed with polar bears. So Aww. I know. So like who knew that, that over her even lifetime, that the risk of polar bears would have, you know, escalated as much as it is. And so she's become this big advocate against, you know, preventing climate change and, you know, all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm sort of intimately aware and funny to have it brought to the forefront by a child instead of necessarily by me. But yes, I I do feel that this next generation is so aware already. Not that I wasn't growing up. I mean, I feel like there was Greenpeace and all this stuff. It's not like I wasn't aware, but I don't know. I think there's a new found dedication to, to preventing their globe from, you know, losing all these species and everything. So Yeah, and it's it's wonderful, you know, to hear to hear that your daughter is kind of really aware of all this stuff. And yeah, like we are we are in good hands with them, with the next generation, I think, but that doesn't mean that we can kind of rest on our laurels. We've got to start slowing this down now because, you know, by the time it gets to them it might be too late. Oh my gosh, do not wait for my daughter. (laughs) 
Exactly. <laughs> do not, certainly do not wait for her. <laughs> the little impact. She, I mean, I'm kidding. Yeah. We can't, we can't the, the fate of our country certainly cannot rest on her. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you never know. She might wind up being the first female president. <laughs> she might, you know, you never know. You never know. <laughs> so tell me what you're working on next. I feel like you sold another book. Am I right about that? You are right. Yeah. Yeah. So the next book's coming out this time next year. I've spent the last year and a half writing and editing it. It's called Creatures All and it's the story of a wolf biologist who is charged with reintroducing wolves into a forest in the Scottish Highlands in order to kind of rewild the ecosystem. And it's a love story and a mystery and I guess ultimately it's a story of the healing power of nature which is a recurring theme for me, apparently. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> it's good you know. I mean, I feel like sometimes I talk to authors who have written like 10 books and they're like, well, it turns out it's all about my dad. You know, <laughs> so, you know, at least with nature, it's pretty clear cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense that people return to the same things, the ideas that kind of they love or that fascinate them, or maybe they're trying to work through some terrible issue of themselves. Yep, that's (laughs) so true. (laughs) Well, what advice would you have to aspiring authors? Well, firstly, I would say this is a cliche, but it's really true. Write from your heart. Write about something that you really, really care about, something that matters to you, because you have to sustain interest in this thing for a long time. You've got to sustain your passion. It's so easy to kind of just start something on a whim and realize halfway through that actually you've lost interest or you don't care about it anymore. And that's kind of, I guess, probably the main reason that so many people start and don't finish books. So yeah, choose something that matters to you. Choose something that isn't necessarily about what the market wants or what you think people will enjoy because it's much more important to write about what you enjoy, write the book that you want to read. And that kind of comes through to readers. They can really feel that passion, I think. Yeah, that would definitely be my main piece of advice. Practice heaps, you know, build the skill. You don't have to necessarily write every day, but you do have to write a lot because otherwise you're not practicing a skill and it's a skill like any other. Yeah, I think and that just be determined. Don't give up. Don't take no for an answer. You know, there's a time for everything. And if you're having trouble with one book, then maybe it's time to start a new one. (laughs) I could kind of go on all day about this stuff. But yeah, I think that would be the main the main points. I think another thing you should add is always end your chapters with a bang because I feel like your chapter endings were always like, da-da-da, you know, like they, they were so good that you like had to keep going. And I just feel like that's always really important in moving things along. Well, totally. And also, especially if you're moving timelines, because sometimes people hate that. <laughs> it really annoys them. But if you can leave them on a note of wanting more, then they'd be really happy to come back to that timeline or that, that scene. So that's a really good point. Yeah. So I'm just adding tips for you there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Charlotte, thank you so much. Thank you for your book and for all of your advice and for raising awareness for such an important issue for everyone in the planet on the planet and just for taking the time to talk to me today. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Zibi. It was lovely to chat. I really appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Thanks so much to firstbook.org for sponsoring this Labor Day Book Blast. Please consider giving to firstbook.org to help their network of 475,000 educators serving children in need. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thank you.